Lord, um, I thank you that you are always with the with your people. And uh, this is a this is a remarkable passage. There's a lot to this passage, and I pray you'd give us exactly what you'd want for us. Now help me to to be sensitive to your leading as I'm here, and to be to be mindful of how this might apply to our lives. So we love you, and we ask you to to speak. Speak to us, Lord, and may we find it delightful to hear from you. In the name of Christ, we hear, we pray. Amen. Uh, okay, so make sure I have a, a passage in front of me here. Um, there's this great moment in the in the movie Fellowship of the Ring. Sam is uh, journeying with Frodo, and they're still on the outskirts of the Shire. And um, Sam stops and says, he's in the middle of this crop. And he says, this is it. If I take one more step, I'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. And uh, it's kind of a touching scene where Frodo comes back and and comforts him. And they, they continue on in the journey. And Sam steps out into a, a... into, into, into a realm into along a road and to places he's never been before. When Paul is talking to the Corinthians, I thought about how far he is away from his home, where he grew up in Tarsus, a long, long way near Jerusalem, if you want to know, over there in the Middle East, and now he's in what we call the Balkan Peninsula. He's a long way from home. He's, he's far from his old life. His old, somewhat comfortable life as a Pharisee, he, back in that old shire of, of the high and mighty self-righteous Pharisee who controlled so much of his, or tried to control so much of his life. Do you, do you remember some of the activities he was part of in that, in that old life that he was a persecutor of the church. He had heard of this group now following this Messiah, and he he wanted to shut it all down. Now he's the Apostle Paul, and he is following his commission to love non-Jews, the, the Gentiles. He's, he's planted a church in Corinth, which is about 45 miles west of Athens. And in this passage, he is been forced to put forth his proofs. Why should the Corinthians listen to him anymore? His critics at Corinth have presented him him as weak, inarticulate, vacillating. Uh, He's unreliable. His schedule kind of changes. And he's not that glorious. He doesn't speak well. well. Again, why should the Corinthians listen to him? Paul has openly called them false apostles. They are very much they're they're very likely from Jerusalem. Do you see that in verse twenty two? Are they Jews? Are they Israelites? Right. So these are Jews who have uh, converted to Christianity, but they are holding on to a back to Moses program. Jesus is important, of course, but you need to keep the law to be fully accepted by by God. This is, of course, is a, a false gospel. Paul openly calls them false apostles. Now, the, there's a dramatic moment. 
underwear. Will Paul's authority be received and thus the gospel secure for the Corinthians? Or will the Corinthians yield their allegiance to these who present themselves as, as righteous? And, um, but of course, it's a false gospel. Will they, will they yield to these new upstarts um, who've taken over the church in a sense, or taken over segments of this church? What will Paul do to win them back? And he puts forth reasons uh, reasons for his authority, right? Reasons for his authority. Um, he puts forth his credentials. Uh, those in these new leaders at Corinth might likely have letters of cred- letters of recommendation from people in Jerusalem. And uh, earlier in the epistle, we learned that the Corinthians actually wanted Paul's letters of recommendation. And, Paul thought that was pretty silly, and he said, uh, well, you are my, the effectiveness of my work is you. And where do you find the writing? Well, it's the writing on your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's where you can find my letter of recommendation. So, Paul, verse 22, um, he, he really doesn't care. Paul doesn't care about DNA. Um. Being Jewish doesn't have any any real advantage. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't have any real difference. Uh, but Paul is forced in verse twenty-two to: Are they Hebrews? Are they Israelites? Are they the offspring of Abraham? And Paul says, "All right, if you want that to be my qualification, uh, that's me as well." And then uh, a key transition happens in tr- verse twenty-three. A key transition happens because. Then he says, the subject now is, this, are they servants Are they servants of Christ? Okay, uh-oh, buckle your seats. Seat, buckle your seatbelts. Uh, who's the most qualified servant? And then he does something that's it feels impossible for him. Verse 23, he says, I'm a, be- I'm a better one. <laughs> it's just, it's like, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, he even says quickly, Verse 23, I'm speaking as a madman. This is, just, this is just, is this even possible that I'm going this direction? But if the subject of servanthood, if the subject of denying yourself, if the subject of living what's called the cruciform way of living, and that means that in everything we have some sense of being crucified, dying to ourselves. If that's the subject, if you're saying servants of Christ... I have to tell you what's, what's evident in my life by way of the crucified life. It feels foolishness for me to be so self-centered in my speech, right? But he also says, in various places, he also says, now, if I'm speaking foolishly, well, and he, there's just some sarcasm here. Uh, you guys put up with foolishness, so you can put up with me. The foolishness you put up with is brutal, oppressive, manipulative leadership. That's what Brandon preached on last week, that section above this. You put up with this uh, harsh leadership, and uh, it's, it's foolish for you to do that. So Paul is now, in, in this sarcastic kind of way, saying, well, you bear with foolishness. Well, please bear with me. All right, so it goes on. And, and this has been called Paul's 
fool speech. Theologians nicknamed this his fool speech. So verse 23, here it is. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. I can't remember, I can't remember them all. And often near death. Now he illustrates it in verse 24. What, what do you mean by all this, Paul? It's five times from the Jews, 40 lashes less one. That's 39 lashes. And that would be uh, discipline uh, given to Paul as he hung around a synagogue, likely preached near or in a synagogue. And the synagogue rules would be that someone who is a heretic or blaspheming God would be required to be uh, lashed 39 times. Now, how many times did this happen to him? Five times. Just imagine that. Now, verse 25, three times he was beaten with rods. Now, this would be the Romans. Brutal. Brutal. Not People wouldn't normally survive this. Once he was stoned, that's Acts 14, in Lystra. In fact, it's remarkable that he actually comes back to that town. And you, you might... So beaten with, beaten with rods, stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and day adrift at sea. And then, verse 23, often near death. Now, again, he keeps going on. Now, what, what describes, if that what doesn't describe near death, um, these could be some illustrations of what it meant to be near death. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Those, those would be professing Christians. These are his, his labors in Christ. This all got started with the subject of servanthood. Again, what did these dangers look like? It seems to be like cascading uh, these layered thoughts. Look at verse 27. Toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and exposure. I hate being cold. In cold and exposure, I would say he's left the shire. And those are sort of external experiences. Of course, we have internal with, without food. Hunger and thirst. They say of thirst that it's the one, uh, the one experience we have that we cannot uh, pretend it's not there. Sometimes with hunger you can pretend you, you know you, you can stay keep busy and you know you haven't eaten all day or something, but with thirst, it's impossible to pretend you're not thirsty. And then on top of all this, he, he says there's the daily pressure of my anxiety. Verse twenty eight. For all the churches, he's got to keep on tra- keep these groups on track. He he's got to keep these church plants going. And then the, there's a, a transition here um, into verse 29. It's a little bit a um, little bit difficult. There's this inward emotional trouble of uh, anxiety, and then he says this: "Who is weak and I am not weak?" Right? This, uh, meaning I respond with. With my heart, I connect with people who are weak. I, I, I'm emotionally connected. I think that's the thought. I'm emotionally connected to people who are weak. And But what about people who are deceived? What about churches that are deceived? And then in the ESV, we have 
who is made to fall. That, that's a, that's kind of hard. To, what does that mean, right? Um, some translations talk about who, uh, who who has been deceived, um, who has been made to fall, right? Who is being deceived is the thought. And then in the NIV, I, I, I like how the NIV does it. In, instead of indignant in the ESV, the NIV says, I have been made to burn. Meaning, this is it's a passion when you are deceiving these churches I've planted. This is this burns in me. So that's another emotional experience. He's talked about anxiety, right? Verse 28, 29. Now it's this burning. So this is a this is a he can't he talks about himself, didn't want to do it, okay. And then he concludes with kind of a humbling illustration. Uh there in verse 32, he sort of illustrates just one more illustration uh, that in Damascus he was even let out of, out of the city with a basket uh, because the because the city and the king were after him early on. This is Acts chapter nine, and then some of these things really can't be proven. He's not always a witness, and so in verse 31, Paul says, "God's my witness." That's an oath. Uh, in the Bible, when that shows up, you usually have a person who's, who's backed into a corner, has no other, no one else to, def, to to prove what they're saying, and so they call upon God and say, "As God is my witness, these things are true." So, what do we what do we take away from this? He can't control his life. He can't manage his outcomes. Anybody, any managers here? He can't even find food and shelter. And then he does something quite unusual. Because I think most of us would say up to this point, Paul, you are kind of a problem-centered person. You're really messed up. What's wrong with you? I mean, can't you organize your life better? Can't you, I mean, can't this be put together in a better way? And then we find out in verse 30, he says, I've just boasted, but I really want you to know what I, bo- I want to boast in. Why did I tell you all these stories? Because I want, I want you to know that I'm boasting in my weakness. The criticism has been he's weak. And Paul says, instead of being defensive, I'm not weak. Oh, no, I'm strong. He says, no, actually, you're on to something. Actually, it's, it's true. It's more true than my critics understand. Such that I'm not ashamed of it. I realize God is in it, and I boast in it. Now, this sets up a question. What do you think spiritual maturity involves? What is spiritual maturity? And we can think of many things. Faith, discipline, Bible knowledge, perseverance, wisdom, discernment. What is spiritual maturity? The mark of spiritual maturity is our ability to recognize and boast in our weakness. You can see the resistance of the disciples. Jesus is training them. They have all these ideas about their lives, and they will not go to the weak place. Peter, of course, Jesus, all these guys are going to flake on you, and when it gets really tough, you can count on me. Peter does not want to see how weak he is. And so he puts up this strong front. And Jesus breaks it to him. 
Peter, you are going to be the first to fall. And a rooster is going to help you understand that my words are true about you. The mark of spiritual maturity is our ability to recognize and boast in our weakness. To do that, we must leave the shire to discover something that is to be understood as most real about us. We are sustained only by the grace of God. And we will not learn that in the shire. This is walking in the gospel. We must leave the shire of our personal agendas, wants, hopes, and compulsions. This passage is uncomfortable. We who live in the top 1% of the world's income, it makes us feel uncomfortable. I'm part of a generation that has refused to suffer. I'm in the last couple of years of the baby boomers. We messed up a lot of things. We did a lot of good things. I don't want to be too negative. Well, one thing is true about baby boomers is we were all taught that we were to have a pain-free life. And if you experience any pain, you have the right to dwell on it for the next 10 years. So that's my generation, and that's me. And we want heroes to do something we like. This is what a, a biblical hero is. He's anxious, he's sleepless, he's hungry, he's beaten, he's discarded, he's despised, he isn't wanted, and he's always on the edge of death. Some have wondered if Paul were to apply for a job as a pastor in our day and put this down as his resume, whether or not any pulpit committee would consider him. On our recent trip, we had a great time. I bumped into something I didn't realize. I um, uh, is a, It's called the Magnolia Journal. Some of you know what this is. This is a home decorating group, a husband and wife team, and I came across their journal. It's a, it's kind of, it's like, it's just home decorating, okay? Um, it's down there in the middle of Target. You can go into the Magnolia realm. And um, so there's a, so this strange thing happens to me is that I begin doing research on the Magnolia journal. Um, I do odd research. So I found out there's a book being released in November recommended by Amazon for me. Do you know I have Todd's Amazon? Did you know that? And it's recommended to me, and here it is. It's a book. Here's the book. It's coming out in November. Here it is. It's called Homebody. Subtitle, A Guide to Creating Spaces You'll Never Want to Leave. And here's the, uh, the description referring to the author. Using examples from her own farmhouse, as well as a range of other homes, this comprehensive guide will help you assess your priorities and instincts, as well as your likes and dislikes, with practical steps for navigating and embracing your authentic design style. Your Shire. And if you're called to be a home decorator, please know that is a legitimate calling and I'm not making fun of you. But I love that subtitle because it tells me so much about myself. You can create a space you never want to leave. David Pallison writes, at the very heart of our redemption is God changing what we most fundamentally want. And when Jesus 
speaks to this man, Saul of Tarsus, that we know as Paul. Jesus speaks to him from heaven. And, and he, excuse me, he's speaking, he's speaking uh, um, to Silas. He is my chosen vessel, for I must teach him the things he must suffer for my name. Are you a chosen vessel? What makes us uncomfortable is Jesus is constantly working by the Spirit to move us into this cruciform life. We are not to build spaces we would never want to leave. The Spirit is moving in us. Leave that you might experience weakness, that I might provide for you food and water and shelter and comfort, conversions, my presence. And you will learn to do what seems so counterintuitive. You will learn to boast in your weaknesses. We'll leave our nicely curated lives. What is revealed to us when we leave the Shire? That we will need to be sustained by something that's beyond our control. And we will learn to boast in the one who gives us the power. And in chapter 12, we learn that Paul complains and he wants this thorn in his side to, to be removed, this thorn in his flesh, I should say, this thorn in his flesh. And, and Jesus speaks to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect or perfected in weakness. Of course, now, the one who left the shire of heaven is Jesus, our, our king. And he's willing to become embodied for us and unashamed to take upon our, our, our need for redemption and to adopt us and to, and to become the one who blazes a trail for us to follow. That our suffering will be like his, deeply meaningful. So, when you're volunteering for the church, and you're volunteering in, in this life, in, 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 in stepping out, move, move with the Spirit, and you'll be brought to the edge. These are descriptions of being brought to the edge. Perhaps you'll be brought to, to encounter people who are not as organized as you, who are not as nice as you, who are not like you, We're not kind to you. Get ready to be offended and to think the offense nothing and to boast in your weakness, boast in your ability to, to say, oh God, I'm not all that. And please reveal to me what's really true about me. What's really true about me is I need you. I need you. Help me not hide myself from that knowledge. I'm thankful that Paul for a moment with the Corinthians was a madman. I'm grateful because we see what the grace of God can do to sustain a person who is weak. Let's pray.
Lord, this is so remarkable that you would train us that spiritual maturity is learning how to boast in weakness. Lord, thank you that you are moving in us, you're working in us, and you love us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.